KVLA Talk 1580. It's a Wealth Building Wednesday, so taste more of that Miles Low music for you right now. Miles Low music wherever you get your music. Um, and I'm so pleased uh, to welcome into the studio, speaking of real artists that are not just doing content, but are uh, making a difference and, uh, and have their artistry at a high level. Um, welcoming into the studio the artistic director, one of the co-founders of the Roby Theater Company. He's an accomplished artist uh, in, on screen on stage, and um, certainly with the Roby Theater Company, which is our premier um, African-American theater here in Southern California and notable uh, nationwide as well. Ben Guillory, welcome. Thank you, Dominic. Glad to be here once again. Yeah, great to have you here in person um, in 3D. And congratulations, yet another show opening um, this month. At the Roby. On Saturday. This week. In about four days. (laughs) (laughs) We go into previews tomorrow night and uh, previews Thursday, Friday. We open Saturday, November 11th at the uh, LATC, the Los Angeles Theater Center downtown where we've been for almost 20 years now. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, Ben, you know, people may have seen you on screen um, as an actor. They may have seen you on stage. But you wear a lot of hats for Roby. On this particular show, which is called The Talented Tenth, mm-hmm. uh, you're director yes. and actor. Yes. And producer. Yes. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, I'm the hands-on <laughs> producing artistic director of the company for the past 30 years since its uh, inception, since its founding in 94. And... So every now and then there's something that comes along in one of the productions that we're doing that is right for a guy like me as an actor. So that fills that slot. And I do a lion's share of the directorial chores as well because it simply... Our mission statement is to produce and develop works about the black experience and reinterpret black classics. This particular play, The Talented Tenth by Richard Wesley, comes under that ladder, producing and um, uh, uh, reinterpreting black classics because it was written in the 80s. And it's still, when you see it, you'll see it is still very, very pertinent today. And Richard Wesley is a really consummate artist, you know. He's, He's... been around since the 70s and has written so much work, uh, film and television. But to the point, our our mission statement compels me to be in the driver's seat often so that we can remain in the lane of producing and developing black work, new black work based out of our Playwrights Lab, which meets three times a year, spring, summer, and fall, 10-week sessions, developing new plays, developing new playwrights, and we produce many of those plays. A advanced scene study workshop where we develop new actors. Those actors land in those plays often. And uh, reaching out to the community, 
developing the relationship that we have developed with the community. And so, and I like it. <laughs> There's that. There's that part. <laughs> that's always a good. That's always a good point. I mean, the mission, you know, of of Roby Theater, which you founded with your friend and colleague Danny Glover many years ago, is it thirty? Almost, yeah. Almost thirty years ago, you stated it is presenting uh, classics and developing new works by Black writers. It's really about this. What's become somewhat of a cliche of changing the narrative, right? Well, yes, or, or or correcting the narrative, maybe even a more accurate way of putting it. Because for so long, as you know, for so long, our stories have been told by others. And sometimes that has worked, but often through a prism that is has not the sensibility that we have because we live it every day. And our whole cultural memory is intact because we live it every day, because we don't have a choice. Even if we want it, we don't have a choice. Those who have told our stories in the past often get it wrong, often for the wrong reasons. Sometimes, yes, it works, as I said, and always dangerous using general and blanket statements. Yeah, for sure. But it needs to be told by us. That's what W.E.B. Du Bois said. Theater should be by us, for us, by us, and about us. Right. And W.E.B. Du Bois came into play in this specific production, The Talented Tenth, because I'm sure, as you know, his theory about 10% of an ethnic community should be that leadership. That lead, that 10% should be the most intelligent, the most right. educated. Which a lot of people them. consider that elitism, of course. Yes, and he did too. He finally abandoned that right. tact as, as, after a, a while. But he was W.E.B. Du Bois, and those of us who know about W.E.B. Du Bois know about the whys of all of that. Yeah. You know. Not the least of which is a, a, a very stubborn person, apparently. Very stubborn, you know. <laughs> in, in actually a very positive way, and 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 in that professorial uh, Berlin University uh, uh, educator and scholar philosopher, just incredible mind, just an incredible mind. Uh, but the play speaks to that theory. The play, in short, without being a spoiler and giving it all away, is about a group of black people who at one time had a militancy of mind when they were young. Fast forward 20 years, they have now evolved into what is known as the American dream. Now, depending on who you're talking to, right? Evolved or devolved. (laughs) (laughs) And one in particular, the character of Bernard, wants to go back to the idealism that he felt as a young man because he is unfulfilled. Even though he has accumulated all the prizes of the American dream, the house, the career, the family, all of those things, he wants to represents something larger than himself. And so the play tracks how he tries to retrieve that idealism. And I'll leave it there. 
Well, I mean, it's an interesting conversation, though, because, it, you know, we we're talking yesterday on this show, and if you missed it, you can listen to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast. We we're talking with Kareem Webb, who mm. is an entrepreneurial activist or an activist entrepreneur. And so the question becomes, do you have to choose? Do you have to choose between accumulating things and, you know, getting the American dream and being about the greater good and having that idealism of the people right now today while we're talking in these streets worldwide about the situation in the Middle East, about black lives, you know, about yeah. women's uh, agency over her own body and all of these issues. Do we have to choose? Do we have to be, you know, okay, no, I'm going to be bad and bougie or I'm going to be, you know, dedicated to my community? Well, again, when we speak in generalities, right. when we go to specificity, you know, it's how we're wired. It's how an individual is wired. What they find truly, truly important and of value, their definitions of importance in life and their values. And our life. definition of success, right? Success. As well, defined by who? By who, right. yes, by who. I think, you know, an opinion that evolved in me is that it evolves. What we find important, what we begin to value or develop a value for starts, you know, when you got a few miles on you like I do, right, been around a while, you start to understand some things and you start to change it. And somehow, sometimes, sometimes, the values that you had early on that were completely idealistic, maybe even unrealistic, you go back to them because they are worth it. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Jim Brown used to talk about this concept of the righteous elders, the elders that haven't sold out. Um, and because you can get wiser and be, become, you know, more measured, but you can also be fearful and decide, well, I got to get mine before it's too late, or I don't want to deal with the, that smoke anymore. So I'm just going to, you know, be mealy mouthed. Well, <laughs> careful, cautious. Right. Scared. <laughs> Absolutely. Better <laughs> words. Okay, better words. And and this is life. But I, I mean, I, I've known you for a minute, and I don't perceive you to be getting more conservative or more moderate no. as the years go by. <laughs> no. See, I don't no, see that happening. No, in fact, happening. I'm going the other way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, this, you know, especially, again, for us, for us as a people, for people of color, for black people, there is, I don't think, a compromise available. Yes, one has to be cautious because you have to live to fight another day. But there is, it's in the play. There is always the struggle. There's a line in the play that talks about, it's the first seven generations that must suffer the most. They are the ones who will have nothing to look forward to except struggle. The first, the first seven, seven generations, generations after slavery. After our enslavement. After slavery. First seven generations after slavery 
are the ones who must suffer the most, the ones who have nothing to look forward to except struggle to get us where we've gotten, where we have all landed. Those people that we stand on their shoulders, like W.E.B. Du Bois, like Paul Robeson, Robeson, like Malcolm, like Martin, like Zora Neale Hurston, like God, so, so, so many, you know, they have fought the good fight. And we are still fighting the good fight. There is no real time to relax. If we relax, it's two steps forward. One step back, maybe two, maybe more. So we have to stay focused, have to stay motivated, which is not very difficult if you are a person of color because you walk out to this world every day and you feel it. There are those who ignore it or mm, mm, choose not to deal with it because of, again, the way they're wired. We can only fight so much. and Otherwise, the trauma, the continuous trauma of living as a person of color in this country, you know, this could prove to be uh, really disastrous, fatal. Fatal emotionally, fatal mentally, and perhaps even, well, you saw our play, the uh, heated discussion, which was about all of that, all of the murders by the authorities with impunity that happened on a monthly, weekly, almost daily basis, you know, that, that play was actually spurred by George Floyd. And we watched his murder, his complete execution in real time. Yeah. And to live to live with that continually is daunting. That's and yeah, that's probably a, the the one of the correct words to describe. That. Yeah. We're talking with um, Ben Guillory. He is the artistic director of the Roby Theater Company. The play he's referring to, The Talented Tenth, opens Saturday um, at the LATC downtown Los Angeles. Continuing the conversation when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part loud. loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. We're talking with the co-founder, CEO, and producing artistic director of the Roby Theater Company, uh, Ben Guillory. Ben Guillory, a theater uh, veteran and actor, director, and producer. And the latest show is The Talented Tenth, uh, written by Richard Wesley. Um, it sounds like it's going to be an amazing piece. It is at uh, 514 South Spring Street, the the L.A. Theater Company, and you can get tickets at ro- the org. and you have to spell theater, R-E, like the fancy way, therobytheatercompany.org. <laughs> um, and actually, you have a pair that you're going to be... For opening night. For opening night, for wow, opening fancy, night fancy. this Saturday, That's yes. That's when all the stars come out. And and we have a reception following, and it's it's a big. You get night. to meet the actors. You get to meet Mr. Guillory. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. And we also have four tickets 
for any other night. Okay, so keep it locked. We'll let you know how to win. You you get a chance to win uh, before the show is over today, before we pass the microphone uh, to Tavis Smiley, who comes on right after this. Mm-hmm. Ben Guillory, like... When you, I mean, what you were expressing about the state of the world and and, and being black in the world um, was really powerful. And and these are incredibly, incredibly tough times in some ways. I I was talking about it yesterday. Like, please, people, take care of yourself. I find watching the death and destruction uh, in the Gaza, Hmm. I've been having nightmares. And I read a lot of terrible news all the time, and I don't usually get nightmares from it. Mm -hmm. So I worry about people. That said, the arts play an important and unique role in these kinds of times, right? How do you see that? Social consciousness is what drives the Roby Theater Company and drives me. (laughs) And I think most of the artists that we have relationships with, that we work with, that we support over the years, social consciousness was the inspiration from Paul Robeson, his social consciousness. For those who don't know, and there are still plenty who don't know who Paul was and what he stood for. He was not only a consummate Renaissance man, which is another general statement, but this guy spoke and sang in 20 languages. He was an attorney when the American Bar Association did not allow Negroes into the American bar. He and Roland Hayes lifted what was then called darky spirituals into a place where it was taken as serious music. His entrance into the theater, ushered in by his wife, who should be truly the woman behind the man, Eslanda Cardoza Good. She introduced him to the theater, managed his singing career for most of their relationship, for most of their years together, and brought him to a place where he was the most popular artist in the world. Not just the most popular black artist, but the most popular artist in the world, late 30s, mid 40s, into the late 40s. There is a mountain named after him in Russia. He had a hand in composing the Chinese national anthem. He made 14 films, that song, Old Man River. It was his mantra. Uh, Short story about that, when Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein asked him to be in the show, he said, okay, but we're going to have to work on that song because originally the lyrics were, Niggas all work on the Mississippi. Niggas all work while the white folks play. He changed all of that to um, what he did. So it's the point is, even then, with all that artistry and making $100,000 a year in 1940, which is like equivalent to several million now, he had everything, everything, all of the prizes of the good life, that fat life, all of the admiration of world leaders admired him. 
He left this country because they would want him to sing, but he still had to enter in the freight elevator in the back door. He and his wife went to England, lived there, learned and developed a social consciousness there during the 30s and when Hitler and all of that and the fascism was going on. Point being that he had all of these, this kind of success, but he still made the conscious choice that he needed to speak out. He had to speak out. He was compelled to speak out. When he was brought in front of the House of American Activities Committee, they asked him the question, why don't you go live in Russia since you laud and admire Russia? He said, because my people fought and died for freedom here, and I'm going to stay here and have a part of it just like you. Speaking to the committee chair, Thomas, who ended up being in jail. Of course, it's reminding me of Rashida Tlaib right now, getting censured by the House for speaking up for Palestinian people as the only Palestinian in in the House of Representatives. And so here we are. To me, it's reminding me a lot of McCarthyism and that House Un-American activity. If you speak your mind and you disagree, that means you're you're, um, a traitor or you're anti-Semitic or you're a problem. Um, Not not much difference. Not much difference at all. Just a difference in what... uh, Oh, about 70 years. Yeah, right. Mm, different decade, you know, same tactics. And we got news, traffic, and sports right here. But I want to continue this line on the other side okay. about, you know, the role of the arts in these times, the state of the of the theater, of, of um, your craft when we come forward on okay. KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. He's live with us in studio, so join us on YouTube, KBLA 1580. Please subscribe, like, you know, hit the like button and all that good stuff while you're there. I'm sure you can hear it in his voice, but uh, Mr. Ben Guillory um, studied at the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. It's a famous theater. And while he was there, he appeared in Julius Caesar, The Taming of the Shrew, um, so many other, The Cherry Orchard, Othello, and so many other pieces. I'm sure you could hear it in his voice in his presentation. Currently co-founder, CEO, and producing artistic director of the Roby Theater Company. Let's let's give away that pair of tickets for opening night Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Let's see, caller, we'll take caller 15 for 1580 right now at 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. Got one pair of tickets for opening night, and then uh, if you keep, keep listening, we've got a few other pairs of tickets for um, other nights. But right now we're giving away those opening night tickets for The Talented 10th, written by Richard Wesley, directed by Ben Guillory at the L.A. Theater Center, uh, presented by the Roby Theater Company, starting on Saturday, 11, 11, 23 through 1210. But go see it now because they tend to sell out. The Roby Theater Company.org. If you want to buy tickets, that's Roby Theater with R E T H E A T R E, Theatra Company. <laughs> um, giving those tickets away right, right now. I asked you about the state of the art, the state of the art uh, theater, you know, film, TV, of course, you've worked in all of those mediums. How do you see it, in particular, um, where it touches black people? You know, the kind of work that's being presented now and that we're doing 
actually creating, not just being inserted into, but actually creating, is so, the work itself is, the artistry is so wonderful. And the content is, again, wonderful and important. So that's everything from Netflix to HBO. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All of it is, I'm surprised that when I get time to look at it all, what's what's available to us and what's being developed. And again, the content, there is a social consciousness to much of this work because because we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That actually applies to us, but again, somewhat universally. The again about social consciousness and about Paul Robeson and about you know what he stood for and how we try to live in that lane. The Roby Theater Company tries to live in that lane. The work we do has that kind of consciousness like the talented tenth or like the a heated discussion. He all he had to do was keep his mouth shut. Right. Like so many people. If you keep your mouth shut, you're cool. Right. If you're if if you talk, if you become popular, if you become famous, then you can say things that you don't even know what you're talking about sometimes because we hear that too. Yeah, people, a lot of that. And people will listen and follow you. And believe in you. So Paul, celebrity culture was there at that time in the 30s and 40s was there. He would talk after his concerts and in, 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 during his touring. He would talk after his concerts. The press would come. And because he was Paul Robeson, world-renowned, he would talk about racism. They would ask that invariable question, is Jim Crow alive and well in America. Is it as they say it is? Racism is rampant. And he wouldn't bite his tongue. He would say, of course, yes, it is and more. Pretty soon the State Department got wind of that and they sent him a couple of guys, pay him a little visit and said, Paul, just sing. Like, what was that person who said just Shut dribble? Shut up and dribble, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was Laura Ingram. Mm-hmm. And of course, being Paul, he's, no, I'm not. And that's when the heat started and Hoover started following him and he started being questioned because he believed in scientific socialism. He was never a communist. He was never a card-carrying communist, which is what they accused him of. And it wasn't even illegal. So, mm -hmm. But he believed in scientific socialism, also simply a humanitarian. That's that was the bottom line of what he believed in, what he fostered, what he promoted, what he talked about. The brotherhood of man. This is what he stood for. The Roby Theater Company tries, and I think every now and then we hit it right, to reflect that in our work. The artists that we have working with in a talented ten, Sterling Bradley, Tiffany Cody, who's Tiffany's done four productions with us now. Rogelio Douglas has done a couple of productions with us. Monty, the same, Monty Escalante. Yeah. Nick Few, the same. Julio Hansen is a pillar of the Roby Theater Company's uh, 
uh, acting community and Jessica Obilam. Wonderful talent. The cast is up to the play. I was saying to you earlier that the play is dense in its language and in its ideology and because Richard Wesley had a consciousness that was honed at Howard University, honed by the civil rights movement. This is what he talks about in the play. And he's good at it. You know, he's really an artist in the truest sense of the word, a very socially conscious artist, the kind of artist that, you know, there's a place for everything. I, I, you, you know, you had asked that question about the state of, and I, I always kind of hesitate. I, I'm not sure about the entire state of the arts <laughs> right, because right. it's individual groups of artists that roll up their sleeves and go to work. And there's a place for just about everything in the arts. Where we land, what lane we try to stay in, is again that socially conscious place. Um, what the way of the culture here in America, in the United States, I don't think the theater arts are valued as much as they should be or supported as much as they should be and need to be. The arts reflect our souls, feed our souls. This is what the arts do. They're mirrors of our lives, how we communicate with each other, the values the ups and downs, the the humor of the human race, all of those things are encompassed in the arts, in the theatrical art, made, and in theater, it's live. There is nothing like that. Just like live talk radio, it is what it is. Yes. Know, let's see what somebody can really do. And <laughs> there, there, there is no place, quote, to conceal anything. Uh. Especially in the no theaters. filters. No, no, <laughs> no especially filters. in the theaters that we work in. We're in very intimate spaces. Yeah. We have a sixty-five to seventy-seat house. The audience is about six feet from the actors, maybe even less sometimes, depending on the staging, depending on the set, and depending on performances. So, what you get is what you get. There, it, it, I had one. <laughs> we had an exchange of audience with the taper, the CT, uh, the Center Theater Group, a few years ago, and they sent over their audience, and we sent over our audience to them. Their audience came in. There, you know what their audience is. It's a very white audience. It's a very white, basically West Side audience. Right. They came to our black box. And we had a Q&A afterwards. And one of the audience members stood up and she said, do you always work in 
a, th- a theater this small? How do you how do you how do you do that? How do you actors work in a theater this small where you're so close to the audience? And what it was, you know, most audiences come to the theater and they are safe because they're in the audience. They're engaged, but they're not. In it. They're engaged from a distance, yeah. Yes. Safe distance. <laughs> That's the operative <laughs> and it's, word. And also it's dark back there, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's supposed to be safe. But she was so close and not used to being so close, being at the taper where you're, you know, 30 feet, 40 feet away or in the balcony. She wasn't used to being amongst, first of all, so many black people. <laughs> yeah, and you're and you're in in the middle of the action. In the middle of the action, and the audience is very different, as you know. The yeah. black audience. I mean, there it's back and forth. It's call and response at times. And she she was very put off and anxious mm. about all of that. Mm. You know, just very surprised and about. Anyway, uh, it, it was just an example of. We do want to engage the audience. We want the audience to be part of it, in it, in it. That has been part of how we design the production. Yeah. Well, look, um, in this in this age of experiences over uh, over objects, that's the perfect time to go see The Talented Tenth, written by uh, Mr. Richard Wesley, directed by Ben Guillory at the L.A. Theater Center. And we are going to give away another pair of tickets right now. Is that OK? Yeah, another pair of tickets for another day. Take caller 15 right now, 809-20-1580, 809-20-1580. You can see the play. It opens this weekend. If you want to just skip the phone call, go to robytheatercompany.org and buy tickets. I'm Dominique Duprima, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique Duprima when we come forward. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. You belong here, and we're so glad you are here. I'm so happy to have Ben Guillory live in studio. We're on YouTube right now. The show, The Talented Tenth. I think we've got one more pair of tickets, one more pair of tickets uh, to give away. It's written by Richard Wesley. Directed by Ben Guillory, who's also in it. That's a treat because you don't act in every single one of the oh, shows. No. Yeah, <laughs> in fact, a lot of them you don't. It's at the L.A. Theater Center, five fourteen South Spring Street. Uh, opens on Saturday, and you can buy tickets at therobytheatercompany.org. Therobytheatercompany.org. You can win a pair right now. Eight hundred nine two zero fifteen eighty. We're going to take caller fifteen again. Um, want to give uh, congratulations to um, Ed um, E.J. Johnson, who won a pair of tickets, um, Koti Kwanfa, and Rosie Yawn. Hmm. They're coming to the show. On Saturday? Well, we have one one pair on Saturday, and Mm -hmm. then we have a couple uh, other... Uh, other days, I believe. Wonderful. Yeah, so we'll have some some of the KBLA delegation in the audience. Thursday, um, Friday, Saturday is an 8 o'clock curtain. Sa- Sunday is a matinee, and most Sundays, well, two Sundays have already sold out. Wow, that's great. 
because it's an afternoon matinee and mm, there are so many of us that like to travel in the daytime. <laughs> also, um, you're going to be dark on Thanksgiving, right? Yes. There'll be no show on this. But are you doing the Friday after? Absolutely. Okay, That's something to do on the so-called weekend, Friday, Saturday, Get Sunday. blackety black on Black Friday with the, <laughs> with the Roby <laughs> a Theater Company. Uh, before we <laughs> ran out of time, I want to talk. I do want to go a little deeper into some of the things that you do besides the plays, which is you know, training the actors, training the writers, creating a pipeline. I mean, you talk about telling our stories and us telling our stories. You're not just doing that. You're also enabling and empowering the artists to do so. You know, when I came in 83, there was one black theater company in Los Angeles. There were over 200 theater companies in Los Angeles, but there was one black. There were, I think, three Asian. There were pr- almost a dozen Latino theater companies. There was a, uh, a, a what is now called physically impaired. And there was a blind theater company in Los Angeles. But there was only one black theater company. It was in uh, Inglewood Park that, on a slant, that when it rained, the theater flooded out. Mm. I went to a few productions. There was... The actors, the playwrights were all people of color, black, but they had not been trained, really, and didn't so know some things that artists should know that work in the theater. And I thought, well, well nobody's really looking at that and really trying to set up a program where we could evolve as artists. And fast forward to 94, Danny and I, we knew Danny each Glover. Other. Yeah. Danny Glover and I, we knew each other before we were actors. We grew up in San Francisco together, and then we started to, doing work in the theater together. And we had a lot of talks about, well, we couldn't find the kind of work that we wanted to do. Because, again, that whole mainstream community of theater was Anglo. And they weren't, this was before it was politically correct to have colorblind casting or whatever. Right, and, 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 and that still rarely happens, whether it's correct or not. <laughs> anyway, we talked about we wanted to do a certain kind of work, and when we get flush and when things start going our way, we'll start our own theater company so that we could do the kind of work we wanted to do and work with the kind of actors and take the time. That was a really big factor, take the time in training and acclimating and giving artists the time to evolve yeah. at their own rate. And not a feel-good session, but really push <laughs> artists to, yes. I'm laughing. I've never taken an acting class that was a feel-good session, and, I, and I've taken oh, no. many. No. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're wonderful, but they're not feel-good sessions, yeah. And they shouldn't be. They, they shouldn't be. <laughs> they shouldn't be that kind of self-indulgence. And so one of the things when we started the Roby Theater Company, I've taught for decades now um, acting. And so we started the advanced scene study program that meets three times a year, spring, summer, and fall, 10-week sessions. And on a Monday night from 7 to 10, we work on scenes, scenes only, not audition pieces. It's not about the industry. It's about the craft. (laughs) Because you know, Dominic, that so many... Most actors spend more time looking for work Mm. 
than they do doing work. And they need a place to really hone craft, to continue to get in the rhythm of the work. And that's what the, pro- the workshop provides. It's not really for beginners, and, but it's a workshop in the truest sense. The lab, the playwright's lab that meets the same three times a year, spring, summer, and fall. For 10 weeks. For 10 weeks, Saturday mornings, now through Zoom. Because of the pandemic, we had to revert and convert or revert. <laughs> to Zoom and that whole culture has found a place in the theater because we have playwrights from England, from other states, from Australia that are working with us. Uh, for, so for three, Reginald Edmund, three uh, sessions a year, works with playwright. He's a dramaturg and a playwright himself. And we develop the playwrights and their work and produce that work. Levy Lee Simon, who is a consummate playwright, who we've produced a half a dozen of his plays, including the last uh, heated discussion, has given a master class for the Playwrights Lab. Reginald is uh, a wonderful, wonderful teacher. We've produced out of there uh, Birdland Blue, uh, a, a heated discussion, the magnificent Dunbar Hotel, and other plays over the years and during our uh, our our festivals. And so this is all again through a sensibility of people of color, because I, like you said, I went through the American Conservatory Theater. They didn't know what to do with us. They didn't really know what to do with actors of color. Yeah, I definitely would have graduated from San Francisco State a lot faster had I, if there were plays, because we had to do a play to graduate, and uh-huh. there were no roles for black women. So I was like, do to do to do They finally had to do for colored girls. They put us all in it, and we were all able to graduate. The, so <laughs> that, That's in the 70s, okay. No, no, we're not in the 70s. They were in the 80s. No. But still, you know, mm-hmm. same thing. Um, yeah. Woman in Blue, by the way. Anyway, uh, you're the woman in blue. blue. But it's great to see you, um, and I and and I really do encourage folks to go see see the show because uh, Roby Theater Company is one of the longest running um, black owned theater companies in Los Angeles, and the level of quality is just excellent. I I commend you on the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. RobyTheaterCompany.org, the RobyTheaterCompany.org, and you got to write T-H-E-A-T-R-E. You'll get tickets. I'll see you there. I will definitely be there. Once again, thank you, Ben, and thanks for your support of KBLA as well. Appreciate you, Dominic. Ben Guillory. Tavis Smiley is up next. He's got a great show on deck for you. As you know, I'll see you on social media, KBLA 1580 on all the platforms, DePrima Radio on all the platforms. Please like, follow, subscribe, argue. (laughs) support all those good things i appreciate you the quote is back i'm dipping into something ben guillory said because i love 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 that he said it's not about the industry it's about the craft Mm. and praying for the craft as the uh, sag after talks continue today history is now and we're making it together i'm dominique de prima until tomorrow one love